Letter seventeen of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter seventeen. My dear lady, it is needful in order to let you more intelligibly into the subject where I left off in my last, for your ladyship to know that your generous brother has made me his almoner, as I was my late dear lady's, and ordered Mr. Longman to pay me fifty pounds quarterly, for purposes of which he requires no account, though I have one always ready to produce. Now, madam, as I knew Mrs. Jervis was far from being easy in her circumstances, thinking herself obliged to pay old debts for two extravagant children who are both dead, and maintaining in schooling and clothes three of their children, which always keeps her bare, I said to her one day, as she and I sat together at our needles, for we are always running over old stories when alone, My good Mrs. Jervis, will you allow me to ask you after your own private affairs, and if you are tolerably easy in them? You are very good, madam, said she, to concern yourself about my poor matters, so much as your thoughts are employed, and every moment of your time is taken up, from the hour you rise to the time of your rest. But I can with great pleasure attribute it to your bounty, and that of my honoured master, that I am easier and easier every day. But tell me, my dear Mrs. Jervis, said I, how your matters particularly stand. I love to mingle concerns with my friends, and as I hide nothing from you, I hope you'll treat me with equal freedom, for I always loved you and always will, and nothing but death shall divide our friendship. She had tears of gratitude in her eyes, and taking off her spectacles, I cannot bear, she said, so much goodness, O oh, my lady, O oh, my Pamela, say, replied I, how often must I chide you for calling me anything but your Pamela? when we are alone together. My heart, said she, will burst with your goodness. I cannot bear it. But you must bear it, and bear still greater exercises to your grateful heart. I can tell you that. A pretty thing, truly. Here I, a poor helpless girl, raised from poverty and distress by the generosity of the best of men, only because I was young and slightly, shall put on lady airs to a gentlewoman born, the wisdom of whose years, her faithful service, and good management, makes her a much greater merit in this family, than I can pretend to have. And shall I return in the day of my power, insult and haughtiness, for the kindness and benevolence I received from her in that of my indigence? Indeed, I won't forgive you, my dear Mrs. Jervis, if I think you capable of looking upon me in any other light than as your daughter, for you have been a mother to me, when the absence of my own could not afford me the comfort and good counsel I received every day from you. Then moving my chair nearer, and taking her hand, and wiping with my handkerchief in my other, her reverend cheek, Come, my dear second mother, said I, call me your daughter, your Pamela, I have passed many sweet hours with you under that name, and as I have but too seldom such an opportunity as this, open to me your worthy heart, 
and let me know if I cannot make my second mother as easy and happy as our dear master has made my first. She hung her head, and I waited till the discharge of her tears gave time for utterance to her words, provoking only her speech by saying, You used to have three grandchildren to provide for in clothes and schooling. They are all living, I hope. Yes, madam, they are living, and your last bounty, twenty guineas, was a great sum, and all at once, made me very easy and very happy. How easy and how happy, Mrs. Jervis! Why, my dear lady, I paid five to one old creditor of my unhappy sons, five to a second, and two and a half to two others, in proportion to their respective demands, and with the other five I paid off all arrears of the poor children's schooling and maintenance, and all are satisfied and easy, and declare they will never do harsh things by me if they are paid no more. But tell me, Mrs. Jervis, the whole you owe in the world, and you and I will contrive, with justice to our best friend, to do all we can to make you quite easy, for at your time of life I cannot bear that you shall have anything to disturb you, which I can remove, and so, my dear Mrs. Jervis, let me know all. I know your debts, dear, just, good woman as you are, like David's sins are ever before you, so come, putting my hand in her pocket, let me be a friendly pickpocket. Let me take out your memorandum book, and we will see how all matters stand, and what can be done. Come, I see you are too much moved. Your worthy heart is too much affected, pulling out her book, which she always had about her. I will go to my closet and return presently. So I left her to recover her spirits, and retired with the good woman's book to my closet your dear brother stepping into the parlour just after I had gone out. "'Where's your lady, Mrs. Jervis?' said he, and being told came up to me. "'What ails the good woman below, my dear?' said he. "'I hope you and she have had no words.' "'No, indeed, sir,' answered I. "'If we had, I am sure it would have been my fault. But I have picked her pocket of her memorandum book, in order to look into her private affairs.' to see if I cannot, with justice to our common benefactor, make her as easy as you, sir, have made my other dear parents. A blessing, said he, upon my charmer's benevolent heart. I will leave everything to your discretion, my dear. Do all the good you prudently can to your Mrs. Jervis. I clasped my bold arms about him, the starting tear testifying my gratitude. Dearest sir, said I, you affect me as much as I did, Mrs. Jervis, and if any one but you had a right to ask what ails your Pamela, as you do what ails Mrs. Jervis, I must say I am hourly so much oppressed by your goodness that there is hardly any bearing one's own joy. He saluted me and said I was a dear obliging creature, but, said he, I came to tell you that after dinner we'll take a turn, if you please, to Lady Arthur's, she has a family of London friends for her guests, and begs I will prevail upon you to give her your company, and attend you myself, only to drink tea with her, for I have told her we are to have friends to sup with us. I will attend you, sir, replied I, most willingly, although I doubt I am to be made a show of. Something like it, said he, 
for she has promised them this favour. I need not dress otherwise than I am. No, he was pleased to say. I was always what he wished me to be. So he left me to my good works. Those were his kind words, and I ran over Mrs. Jervis's accounts and found a balance drawn of all her matters in one leaf, and a thankful acknowledgement to God for her master's last bounty, which had enabled her to give satisfaction to others and to do herself great pleasure written underneath. The balance of all was thirty-five pounds, eleven shillings, and odd pence, and I went to my escritoire and took out forty pounds, and down I hasted to my good Mrs. Jervis, and I said to her, Here, my dear good friend, is your pocket-book, but are thirty-five or thirty-six pounds all you owe, or are bound for in the world? It is, madam, said she, and enough too. It is a great sum, but tis in four hands, and they are all in pretty good circumstances, and so convinced of my honesty that they will never trouble me for it. For I have reduced the debt every year something, since I have been in my master's service. Nor shall it ever be in anybody's power, said I, to trouble you. I'll tell you how we'll order it. So I sat down and made her sit by me. Here, my dear Mrs. Jervis, is forty pounds. It is not so much to me now, as the two guineas were to you, that you would have given me at my going away from this house to my father's, as I thought. I will not give it you neither, at least at present, as you shall hear. Indeed, I won't make you so uneasy as that comes to, but take this, and pay the thirty-five pounds odd money to the utmost farthing, and the remaining four pounds odd will be a little fund in advance towards the children's schooling, and thus you shall repay it, I always designed, as our dear master added five guineas per annum to your salary, in acknowledgement of the pleasure he took in your services, when I was Pamela Andrews, to add five pounds per annum to it from the time I became Mrs. B. But from that time, for so many years to come, you shall receive no more than you did, till the whole forty pounds be repaid. So, my dear Mrs. Jervis, you won't have any obligation to me, you know, but for the advance, and that is a poor matter not to be spoken of, and I will have leave for it, for fear I should die. Had your ladyship seen the dear good woman's behaviour on this occasion, you would never have forgotten it. She could not speak. Tears ran down her cheeks in plentiful currents. Her modest hand put gently from her my offering hand. Her bosom heaved, and she sobbed with the painful tumult that seemed to struggle within her, and which, for some few moments, made her incapable of speaking. At last, I, rising and putting my arm round her neck, wiping her eyes and kissing her cheek, she cried, "'My excellent lady, tis too much. I cannot bear all this.' She then threw herself at my feet, for I was not strong enough to hinder it, and with uplifted hands, "'May God Almighty,' said she, I kneeled by her and clasping her hands in mine, both uplifted together. "'May God Almighty,' said I, drowning her voice with my louder voice, "'bless us both together for many happy years.' and bless and reward the dear gentleman, who has thus enabled me to make the widow's heart to sing for joy. And thus, my lady, did I force upon the good woman's acceptance the forty pounds. 
Permit me, madam, to close this letter here, and to resume the subject in my next, till when I have the honour to be your ladyship's most obliged and faithful servant, P. B. End of letter 17